Hey, well, I hope you all are doing well tonight. Good to see you. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. And let's go to the 18th chapter. And um, I was reading this earlier in the week and just, oh, just impressed by it all over again. The story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And then as I thought about it, I thought about how similar that time was to the time in which we live. Now, I know thousands of years have passed. I know life is completely different, or is it? Completely different in some ways, technologically and that kind of thing, transportation, the way that we live. Yeah, that's different. But at the same time, so similar because we think of human nature and we think of where the uh, nation of Israel, that's that northern kingdom, remember they're split by this point, how far they had fallen. And I uh, wondered if people like King David, okay, let's back up to kind of where we were this morning, could King David have ever seen the day coming when Israel was worshiping false gods in the way that they were in the time period of Elijah? I wonder if he ever foresaw that there would be a division between the ten tribes that would be in the north, the nation of Israel, and the tribes of Judah and Benjamin that would be in the south. And, of course, Judah was his own tribe. I wonder if he ever could even fathom anything like that coming. And I would, I would make a guess... Probably not. Maybe to some degree. Maybe to some degree. He wasn't a stupid man and he understood how things worked. And much like us, we've heard uh, all of our lives, if you have any age on you at all, all of our lives we've heard about judgment coming upon our nation. We've heard of warnings and dire consequences, things like that. And uh, there's a part of us that knows that could happen And yet there's a part of us, if you're like I am, that sure doesn't want it to happen and hopes it doesn't happen. And sometimes when we find it starting to happen, then we say, I just can't believe this is happening. Well, you should. You've been hearing about it for a long time. And things are falling apart very, very quickly and moving faster. They're accelerating, if you haven't noticed. But we need to remember the Bible also says where sin abounds, there does grace, can you finish it? Much more abound, much more abound. Grace is always bigger than sin. And the power of God is always stronger and bigger than the power of the enemy. And the plan of God, well, it just trumps anything and everything that humans or governments or nations or even the demons of hell want to do. And so uh, the title tonight, we want to talk about looking at this story in Elijah's life, Victory Over the Dominant Culture. Okay? Victory Over the Dominant Culture. I know it seems like it's too late. I know that it seems like it's too far gone. I know that it seems like we don't have uh, enough influence. We don't have enough um, money. We don't have enough dominance or anything to overcome the way the culture seems to be dominating our lives. It seems like we're losing our children. It seems like families are falling apart and that just, you know, corresponds to everything else that's going on. But I want to challenge something. 
Victory over the dominant culture. And I just want to say this. Are they really? Are they really the dominant culture? Or is the unseen hand of a sovereign God doing His work and His will in His way so that the culture thinks they have the upper hand, but they really don't? And the problem is not so much what they think, because they don't get it anyway, but it's us. Have we bought into the idea that they're controlling everything, that they really have the upper hand? And what does that say about us and our belief in and faith in God? And to what degree do we trust Him? We just sang about it. We said it's sweet to trust in Jesus. But at the same time, do we really trust Him? And do we really find it that sweet? And do we sense the victory that is within us? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's power. And the culture... And all of the powers of darkness sure didn't want Jesus coming back from the dead. And yet they couldn't control it because God always has the upper hand. So I want to make a comment, a point about this passage as we read it. So we'll make the point and then we'll read the passage. So 1 Kings chapter 18 and we'll begin in verse 20. And let's just label this the timeless challenge. It seems like no matter... Where you are, there's a showdown, always a showdown. And the showdown is between God and the enemy, God and this world, God and this culture. And uh, who are we going to believe and who is going to um, be the dominant being in everything? Look at verse 20. So Ahab, that wicked king of Israel, sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel... Uh, That's actually a mountain range, kind of like Sinai or Horeb. And uh, so we don't know exactly which mountain in that range this took place on. But uh, you can find the, the range of mountains. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go? The King James Version says, How long will ye halt between two opinions? Uh, We don't talk like that much anymore. Um, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How, How do we explain that? Israel had not totally abandoned God, but they weren't totally sold out to him either. Now remember, Jesus said, if you're not for me, then you're against me. You can't be halfway. You can't be a little bit of Baal and a little bit of, a little bit of uh, Yahweh. You, you can't do that. You're, you're uh, stuck between those two things. And Elijah, the way he put it, you're just limping. You know, you need to get on one side or the other. You need to figure this thing out. And it seems to me like that in America today, we're kind of in the same shape. A little bit of God we kind of like. Almost everybody does that. President Biden... Whenever there is uh, some kind of emergency, he always quotes Scripture. But yet at the same time, he would not believe what the Scripture says about the only way to heaven being by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wouldn't agree with uh, what the Bible would say about abortion or or homosexuality or those kind of things. And so we're just kind of bouncing back and forth. And uh, I go back to my days when I was uh, young and I'd play a game of pinball. And that ball would just bounce back and forth almost out of control. And that's the way life seems to be 
now. We're so confused and we're so messed up. We don't want to let go of God. And yet at the same time, we don't want to embrace him either. We don't want God to completely walk away from us. And yet we don't really want to trust him and obey him either. This is kind of where Israel was. And uh, they couldn't figure it out. A little bit of you know, Baal and a little bit of God. Well, that's, that, they were doing that trying to be safe and um, cover all their bases. And yet it doesn't work. Because Elijah goes on to say... Listen to this. This is really what the showdown is. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Quit, put, quit playing games. It's a good word for us tonight, isn't it? And the people did not answer him a word. Why? Well, because if you're wrong, you're going to get clobbered by somebody. So what if they say, okay, we're going with Baal. Now, wait a minute. We've heard enough Bible and enough Bible stories that we know what God might say about that. And if all of that's true, man, we might get it. But at the same time, if we were to say that Yahweh is the true and the living God, well, then what if that displeases Baal? We've got to keep him happy too. And by the way, remember, they're in a three-year, Jesus said, a three-year and six-month drought. No rain. Now, there must have been some water that would come up underground or something because livestock, to some degree, is still alive. But the people are hurting, and there's a tremendous famine during this time. And the people then believed that Baal was the god of weather. Well, what do you need to make crops grow in Israel or anywhere, for that matter? You need rain. And so if they affirm God, Yahweh... Well, then Baal gets ticked off, and what happens? Because in their minds, it was Baal that was the problem with the drought. If Baal would just do something, even if God caused it, Baal needs to overcome that and give them rain. And it seemed to be their hope. So here they are between the two. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? So they played it safe, and the people answered him not a word. Well, then Elijah said to the people... I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, the altar, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now can't you see all of the people? They're afraid to say anything, but this is intriguing to them. They don't like the way things have been going. What they have been doing has not been working. And of course the definition of insanity is to... Uh, keep on doing the same old thing, you know, and expecting different results. Well, you can kind of picture the people's ears kind of uh, perking up a little bit, okay, because it goes on to say, and all the people answered, it is well spoken. They're agreeable to that. Let's have a showdown. Now, we may not be building altars, and we may not be calling down fire from heaven, but in every family, this same, this same episode is taking place. Will your children believe God or will they believe the gods of this world? 
Will they believe what you have taught them in the Bible? Will they believe what you believe? Or are they going to believe what their peers say? Are they going to believe what the media says? What is going to happen on all of that? And uh, as we have talked about so often, we seem to be losing in this battle right now. And the showdown seems to be kind of going to the enemy at this particular point. And so we need to get in our minds that in everything we do, and it's not just in our family, it's in our churches, are we going to believe God or not? How many people in our church or any church really believe the Bible? Easy to say, oh, we believe that book, boy, we believe that Bible, but we don't have much discernment, we don't study it much, we don't understand it much, and we don't obey it very much either. How many people would, uh, you know, just take Hebrews 10.25 and Forget about it and cut it out of the Bible. How many people do that? And yet they are Bible-believing Christians. I doubt it. I doubt it. How many people, when it comes to morality, they can look and see what the Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil, and this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And boy, they will fight for that, and they'll fight for doctrine, and then you find out that behind the scenes... They've got an affair going on or something like that. How many people will read where the Bible says, quoting the Apostle Paul, that I will allow nothing else to have mastery over me, and they will say, Jesus is Lord, but they're addicted to drugs or alcohol or tobacco or any number of things like that. And uh, so no wonder we don't have much impact on the world because I see the church today even people in our own fellowship that are doing what Elijah said, they're just limping. Can't really run the race. And they're limping because they're caught between two opinions. They're just right in the middle. Um, let's see what Jesus called that in the book of Revelation. Have you ever heard of the lukewarm church? And that's what it means to be limping between two opinions. You're not really hot. You're not really cold, you're just kind of tepid, just kind of lukewarm. And the idea that uh, Jesus was speaking to the church at Laodicea is, you're not like hot springs that are medicinal and can bring healing to somebody, and you're not like ice-cold, cool, refreshing water that can uh, perk somebody up and satisfy their needs. You're, you're like the water that was in the aqueduct, that would carry it through, that birds have fallen into and bugs have fallen into, and it's muddy and it's murky and it's smelly and it stinks. That's what you are, and that's why he said, I'm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. It's disgusting. And I think that there are a lot of churches and a lot of people that claim to be Christians that are turning the Lord's stomach because what are they doing? They're limping between two opinions. Make up your mind. Get sold out. Get committed on all of this is what Elijah is saying. Well, that's the word for today. This is this timeless showdown. Who are you going to believe? Get committed. Get on one side or the other. If it's not true and you're not convinced, then quit. Then quit. But if it is right, then sell out to it in everything that you do. That's, what's hap that's where the problem is. So, number two, I want you to notice that the false god... Here's an ironic thing. He's powerless and yet destructive. And when we think about what is going on in our world today, we know that Jesus is Lord and the power of the Word and the power of our Creator and the power of God's sovereignty. And yet at the same time, 
here we find that the devil has been defeated and uh, uh, Eve was promised back in the Garden of Eden that, you know, uh, he's going to strike the heel of your seed, your offspring, speaking of Jesus. And then it says, but he will crush the serpent's head. And we know that Satan has been dealt a death-dealing blow on the cross, but he sure seems to be tearing up a lot of people and a lot of stuff. Look what happened here. This powerless false god, this idol Baal, look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your god, little g, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from Morning until noon. Boy, that's a long prayer meeting. You wouldn't, you wouldn't stay in a prayer meeting that long, would you? But the people who believe in falsehoods, man, they are committed to it. And they'll march in the streets and they'll let dogs bite them and they'll put up with all kinds of things. They'll even go to jail for what they believe. Christians, where are we? Where are we in all of this? And what are they doing? They're saying all this time, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was... No voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry louder, for he is he's a god. And either he is uh, musing, he's all somewhere thinking about something, planning something. Not much of a sovereign god, is he? Not an all-knowing god. He's got to make plans. Or... It's kind of crude, but this is what the original language says. He's relieving himself. He is, um, how would we say it politely? He's indisposed, right? He's indisposed. Or he's on a journey. You know, he forgot about you. He went on a trip. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Go louder. Go louder. Wake him up. Rouse him up, right? And they cried aloud. Don't you imagine that that made them mad when uh, Elijah said that? They cried aloud. Now look at the next thing they did. They cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. You ever known anybody who was a cutter? You ever heard of that kind of stuff? And it's amazing that the further we get from God, the more self-destructive we are to the bodies that God has given us because we're made in the image of God. And this world wants to mar up the image of God, cover up the image of God, scar up the image of God, ink up the image of God, do whatever they can to cover it all up. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. And so you see the destructiveness and the pain that's going on. It's after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Notice how that's repeated. This powerless God sure was doing a lot of harm. This unanswering God was sure causing people to do a lot of foolish things. We watched uh, that video on worship by Vodi Bakum, 
And uh, I think he made reference to it. And it came to my mind that a lot of so-called worship today that we want looks a whole lot more like Baal than it does Jesus, doesn't it? The dancing around, the confusion, the uh, cacophony, all of that kind of stuff. And the Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order. And yet we would really have it be everything but that. Well, that's the way the prophets of Baal were. So that brings me to number three. When Elijah finally speaks, and it's his time, you'll notice that uh, he's doing what we should do. Be bold. We need to quit being shrinking violets. We need to quit being pansies in the July heat. We need to be bold. But while we're being bold, we need to be clear. Let's not be vague. Let's not hide this. Let's not speak in innuendos. They don't understand that. We've got to be clear in what we say. Loving, of course. Kind, of course. We don't want to be a jerk, but we need to be bold. We need to be clear. And above all, we need to be biblical. And it says, beginning in verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. He didn't have anything to hide, did he? Come near to me. And all the people drew near to him. And he, here's where the biblical stuff is, here's where the clear stuff is, here's where the bold stuff is. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. You know, every generation is trying to kind of throw down what the previous generation did. There's all, you know, it's a modern age. We've got new stuff and things that we're doing. And some families, we need to rebuild the altar of the Lord. Some of you personally need to rebuild the altar of the Lord. Churches need to rebuild the altar of the Lord. And in our country, the altar of the Nor Lord certainly needs to be rebuilt. Well, see, this, this uh, culture didn't have any reason to have an altar of the Lord. Why? They had Baal. They had Baal. And they were pretty well happy with Baal. Okay? They weren't busting down the doors of the temple and all of this. And the altar of the Lord had to be repaired, had to be rebuilt. Just like in our lives, things have to be repaired and rebuilt. For the altar of the Lord had been thrown down. That means intentionally destroyed, doesn't it? So Elijah took 12 stones. Now this is interesting. According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Why do they call him the sons of Jacob? Well, Jacob, remember, is the one who his children, his sons, that's who the tribes were named after. Why didn't they say, and remember, his name was changed to Israel. Why didn't they just call them the children of Israel? Remember, the nations divided. Israel, that's the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. How many tribes total? Twelve tribes. Elijah is making a statement that there may be two nations, but there's only one God and there's only one nation, the children of God. And they are the sons of Jacob. So nobody could object and nobody from Judah could point fingers at this and nobody from Israel could point fingers at this. Uh, he kind of found some common ground here. The sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he did it just like it was prescribed in uh, the law of God, the Bible. 
And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it out on the burnt offering and on the wood. Uh, how controversial would that be when it hasn't rained in three years and six months? That, that's a bold, bold thing that he's doing here. And he said, huh, do it a second time. Hey, prophet, we'll give you one, but two? Where are we going with all of this? Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. Man, I'm thinking there's a riot brewing when you start talking about this. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now, when we read this, what is a sia? You know, we look at that, it mentions it, two sias. Uh, we're talking here about at least eight gallons of water in the middle of a three-and-a-half-year drought. So water was somewhat available, not very, but uh, somewhat available. And then what little they have, this man of God is pouring it out on a dead bull and on an altar that hadn't been used in who knows how long, and it's filling a trench just to soak into the thirsty ground. Uh, this, this is really, really amazing what Elijah does here. He's taking his life into his hands. If this doesn't work, then Elijah is a fool, isn't he? And probably dead. And in contrast to the false prophets, he sets up the altar according to the word of God, not a copycat of Baal. Far too much of what we do today is a copycat of the world. And a lost person comes into a lot of churches now and they go, Oh, I know that song because it's what they've heard on the radio. It's what they listened to when they were a teenager. And everything kind of seems the same. The lights, the smoke, everything that they do. It's like going to a second or third rate rock, con rock concert. And it's no different. They don't see the glory of God. They don't see anything different than what they're used to because they're trying to make everything to appeal to the followers of Baal and make them comfortable in all of it. And you don't find anything like that in the Bible. And so Elijah is doing something distinctly opposite of what the children of uh, the prophets of Baal are doing. He rebuilds God's altar. He does it like the Old Testament tells him to do. And then he says, soak it with the most precious thing that they have on earth. Soak it in water. Let's make this difficult for God. And let's show how serious we are about this because the prophets of Baal may have been dancing around and cutting themselves. And Elijah says, I'm going to go even further than that. I'm going to show you my commitment to all of this by pouring out water that I could use and that other people could use. And we're going to pour it out and we're going to offer it to God as part of our sacrifice. And number four, awakening came as a response to a very simple prayer, very simple prayer in verse 36. While they're cavorting around and doing all of their kind of stuff, Elijah just calm. And what he says here, it's not very long. It's not a forceful type thing. It's just, he just speaks it and listen to what it says. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, that was that second offering we'd read about in Exodus and in Numbers, the second offering of the day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, it's called an evening offering because Jewish days start at sundown. So by the time you get to 3 o'clock, you're not far from sundown, depending on what time of year it is. And uh, that was the time of the oblation. 
And Elijah the prophet came near and said, here it is, ready for this prayer? O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Here's the purpose clause in this. That this people, your people, may know that you, Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Not very long, is it? No ranting, no raving, nothing like that at all. It's not a long, drawn-out sweat session or anything like that. Very simple. You can say it in just a few seconds. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Somebody say amen. amen. Isn't that great? The fire of the Lord fell. Can you imagine what the prophets of Baal thought? what they felt, and what the people thought and felt. It fell and it consumed the burnt offering, we would expect that, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Hey, Baal, you weather god, you god of lightning, you god of thunder, you god of the storms, take that. Match that. And the people looked at that and they were absolutely astounded. And I'm going to also say they were probably terrified. You've been worshiping the wrong God. You've been praying to the wrong God. There's no power in everything that 450 people did for hour after hour after hour at great personal cost and sacrifice. And then this one prophet, the only guy there, prays this little simple prayer and boom! Here comes the lightning and the fire out of the sky and it is so strong and powerful it's like nothing they've ever seen before. I mean, what they've seen before that they thought Baal did was nothing compared to this. The water is gone, the stones are gone, the wood is gone, and the sacrifice is gone. Can you even begin to imagine? What would you do? Probably this. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Amen. And boy, did everything change after that. And you can read the rest of the story. And as I thought about our students going to camp, my prayer is, Dear Lord, let there be a showdown and let them see that the Lord, He is God. How would we pray when we do that? Well, there are some people that would write out some praise and give you some formulas to use and all of that. And boy, there's a lot of power in it. How about if we just prayed like Elijah? Oh, Lord, show them that you are indeed God. Yeah, isn't that it? And I'm going to ask you tonight to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for our teenagers as I go to camp. I'm going to ask you to pray for our children as they go to VBS later on and children's camp. I'm going to ask you to even begin to pray now for teachers, school teachers, for schools, for students, 
that they would be fortified and that in the timing of God, he would bring about a showdown where he would put himself on display. And it couldn't be attributed to our performances. couldn't be attributed to our music. It couldn't be attributed to our money. It couldn't be attributed to men's talent or creativity or the show that we provide. Elijah wasn't interested in putting on a show. All he did was say, Lord, show them who you are and that I'm your servant and settle the issue. And fire fell from heaven. And boy, did it ever settle the issue. Ahab is scared to death now, and he's the king. Jezebel, that wicked queen, is going to send a message to Elijah. May the gods do so to me if I don't do what to you what you did to the prophets of Baal. And Elijah backs a little, a little bit because the Bible says in the book of James he was a man of like passions as are we. So he was human. He had his ups and his downs. He had his failings. He had all of that just like we do, right? But this is one of those times when that simple prayer was answered in a powerful way. Simple prayer, powerful answer. I think that's the way we want it. Simple prayer, powerful answer. And so I would like to ask you to do some things tonight. To pray for our children, to pray for our schools. We're in a mess. We're in a mess with all of this stuff going on. And the Lord is the only answer. And I want our children especially to see that the Lord, He is God. Whether it's at camp, wherever it is, I don't care. I just want them to see that. And the Bible says we have not because we ask not. So will you join me and let's ask tonight. And later on, um, after we're dismissed, I'm going to ask you to carry this further. Some of you can, some of you can't, some of you will, some of you won't. That's between you and God. But I'd like to ask you as you leave here tonight, for some of you, maybe it's time you just walked through your neighborhood and prayed for the houses and the people that were in them all along there. Oh, Lord, show them who you are. Let them see that the Lord, He is God. You see a tricycle in the driveway, you know that they've got little kids. Pray for them see a swing out in the yard they're probably a little bit older pray for them doesn't matter does it divorces alcoholism drug abuse sexual perversion all of these things are invading our neighborhoods we need to come against that and pray for those things some of you i'm going to ask you to do something else get in your car and go to a school pull your car into the parking lot you can get out if you want to you can stay in your car if you want to and pray a prayer very similar to what Elijah prayed and pray that those teachers, the administration, and the kids that are going to be in that school, maybe some of them are there for summer school even now, but in the fall, that they would see that the Lord, He is God. Some of you might want to go to um, where Bob Hooker lives and pray that through Brother Bob, through his healing from COVID, that all the people in that facility would come to know that the Lord, He is God. Maybe you want to go to a hospital or something like that.
Maybe you want to go someplace where you know that children and teenagers go and you just want to go in there and you want to be the presence of God there and you go into the parking lot and you begin to pray for the people that are inside the building or whatever they're doing. Maybe you want to go to a park. Just let your mind go and think about all of that. And let's pray and let's put some feet to our prayers as we do all of this. And uh, don't just do it today, don't just do it tonight, but we need to get in the habit of doing these things and doing them for the glory of God because we've got to be clear and we've got to be bold and we've also got to be biblical. Okay? You have not because you ask not. Elijah is a man like us, of like passions as we are, and yet look what God did through him. Through him. Same God. Same God, same situation. I'm sure if you ask Elijah and a, a few of the other people who had not bowed their knees to Baal, they would have said, I don't ever see it coming. I wish it would, but I don't ever see it coming. Well, they didn't know that God had an event planned already. And you and I don't either. You and I don't either. But we can ask. We can ask. And we have not because we ask not, so let's do some asking, okay? And then as we leave going out tonight, it's been kind of a shorter service, go out and do something. You're, it's wide open for you. Go out and do something. Uh, I'm, I don't want to just have us be setters and getters. Let's go out and let's do something. Let's go out and do something for the glory of God and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Um, Isaac, do you have anything that you need to say or do tonight?